0: Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson Part Four The Stockade Chapter 17 Narrative Continued by the Doctor The Jolly Boat's Last Trip This fifth trip was quite different from any of the others in the first place. The little gillipot pot of boat that we were in was gravely overloaded. Five row men, them toney Red roof, and the captain she was six feet high, already more than she was meant to carry. Add to that powder, pork, and bread bags. Gowall was limping astern several times. We shipped a little water. My breeches and tails and my coat were all soaking wet. We had gone a hundred yards. The captain made us trim the boat. We got her to lie a little more evenly. All the same, we were afraid to breathe. In second place, the ebb was now making a strong rippling current running westward through the basin, and then suffered. And seaward down the strait by which we had entered in the morning. Even the ripples were a danger of our, to our overloaded craft. The worst of it was that we were swept out of our true course and away from our proper landing place. High in the point, we let the current have its way, we should have come ashore beside the gigs, where the pirates might appear at any moment. I cannot keep her ahead the okay, sir, said I to the captain. The steering wheelie in red roof, two freshmen were at the oars. The tide keeps washing her down. Could you pull her a little stronger? Not without swamping the boat, said he. You must bear up, sir. If you please bear up until we see you gaining? I tried and found my experiments with that tide. the tide kept sweeping us westward. I laid her head due east or just about eight right angles to the way we ought to go. Never get ashore at this rate, said I. If, uh, it, if it's the only course that we can lie, sir, we must even lie it, said so the captain. We must keep upstream. You see, sir, he went on, if once we drop to leeward of the landing place, it's hard to say where we should get ashore. There's so the chance of being boarded by the gigs wherever it is. Away we go to the current must slacken, and then we can dodge back along the shore. The carrot's less ready, sir, the men grey. We're sitting in the poor sheets. You can ease her off a bit. Thank you, my man, said I, quite as if nothing had happened. We all quite made up our minds to treat him like one of ourselves. Suddenly so the captain spoke up again. I thought his voice was a little changed. A gun, he said. He I thought of that, said I. Made sure he's thinking of bombardment of the forest fault. They should never get the gun ashore. If they did, they would never haul it through the woods. Look astern, Doctor replied the captain. have totally forgotten the long nine, and there to our horror, were a low five rugs busy about her, getting off her jacket. A child, a stout turbling. Cover under where she sailed. Only that, but it flashed in my mind the same moment, a round shot, the powder of the gun. with left behind a stroke with an axe but put it all into the possession of the evil ones abroad. Israel was Flint's gunner, said Grey, hoarsely. At any risk, you put the, gun at the boat's head direct for the landing place. By this time we had, we had got so far out to the run, the current we kept steerage way even at our necessary gentle rate of rowing, I could hardly keep a steady for the goal. My worst fit was that, with the course I now held, we turned our broadside instead of our stern to the and offered to target like a barn door. I hear as well the of a brandy face of our real hands, pummeled down a round shot on the deck. Who's the best shot? asked captain. Mr. Loney, out and away, said I. Mr. will you pick? Please pick me off, with one of these men, sir. Hands, if possible. But the Captain Tawney was as cool as steel. Get the priming of his gun now," cried the, cried the captain. "Either the gun, sir, or you swap the boat. All hands, stand by to trim her When he aims. The squire raised his gun. When he ceased, he leaned over to the other side to keep the balance. All oh, was so nicely contrived; we did not. The ship did not drop. Drop, drop. The ship. Uh, did not ship a ship drop they had their gu- they had the gun by this time slewed around upon the swaddle with all the hands it was at the muzzle where her hammer was in concurrence the most exposed, however, we had no luck for just the twenty-five down he stooped the ball whistled over him, his one and the other four who fell. The cry gave was echoed not only by his companions aboard but that by a great number of voices off on the shore. Looking in the wretched and saw that other pirates tripping out from among the trees, stumbling into the paces in the boats. Here come the gigs, sir! I, I said, I give way then, cried the captain. "We mustn't, might we, we mustn't wind if we swamp her now. We can't get ashore. That all's up. I one of the gigs is being manned, sir," I added. "The crew, they ever's most likely going round by shore to cut it out ourselves." They have a hot run, sir, returned the captain. Jaggershaw, sure, you know it. It's not it's not, it's not, there, my mind. It's a round shot, cap of carpet balls, my blade maimed. Couldn't miss. Tell us, squire, when you see the match, and we'll hold the water. In the meantime, we've been making headway at a good pace for a boat, boat. so we loaded. We shipped but a little water in the process. We were now closed in. Thirty or forty strokes, and we should reach her. The ebb had already disclosed a narrow belt of sand below the clustering trees. The gig was no longer to be feared. The line or point had already concealed it from our eyes. The ebb which was so coolly delayed us, was now making separation and delaying our assailants. A sort, one source of danger was the gun. If I did us the captain, "I stop and pick off another man. The plain they meant nothing. Should delay their shot. They never so much as looked. Their fallen comrade. though no, he's not dead. I could see him trying to call away. Ready!" cried the squire. "Hold!" cried the captain, as quick as an echo. He reversed, back great heave, and sent her stern, boldly under water. Boldly in the water. Her port fell. Same instant a time. This is the first that Jim heard the sound of Squire's shot, not reaching, not having reached him. with a bold pass. Not one, not one of us precisely knew the fancy must have been over our heads, and the wind of it may have contributed to our disaster. At any anyway, rate, the boat sank by the stern, quite gently, in three feet of water, leaving the captain and myself facing each other on our feet. The other looked free, took complete headers, and come up, Oh again, drenched and bubbling, so far, there was no great harm. No lines a last speed we could wade ashore in safety, for there were all our stories at the bottom to make things worse. Only two guns out of five remained at state for service. Mine had snatched from my knees, held over my head by a slaughter's instinct, the captain had carried it over his shoulder by a burden. Like a wise man, lock uh, out of uttermost. Forever free, he had gone down with the boat. To add to our concern, we heard voices already drawing ne- near us in the woods along shore. And not only the danger of being cut off, but stockade in a, a our half crippled state, the fear before us, whether if Hunter and Joyce were attacked by half a dozen, they would have the sense to conduct to stand firm under steady. We knew Joyce was a doubleful case, a peasant, polite man with a valet to brush one's clothes, but not entirely fitted a man of war. With all this in our minds, we waded shore as fast as we could. The you mind us the poor jolly boat, a good half of all our powder and provisions?